In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all of Jerusalem with him and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, And they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And, having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Were there three of them? We have no idea. We've just got three gifts. So we say there's three, but we don't know. Were they wise? Well, we don't really know that either. The word is actually uh, the word magi, which is the word we get, from which we get the word magician. They were most likely astrologers, astronomers, uh, those two things were, were mixed up together. They were proto-scientists in many ways. Um, they, they come originally, uh, scholars believe, from the very first Zoroastrian priests in the Persian Empire. And that by the time we get to this period in time, uh, it's begun to be a word used for any learned person who's paying attention to the stars and, um, and these... Uh, People came more than likely from the Parthian Empire, uh, far to the east. So were there three? We don't know. Were they wise? Well, we're not sure. And were they men? Well, of course they were men, because there's always men, isn't it? We have no idea. It's a very strange little story. They don't strike me as very wise. Where is the child who has been born the king of the Jews? Who are they talking to? The king of the Jews! That's a little bit embarrassing, except if you're King Herod, you don't get embarrassed, you just kill people. It doesn't strike me as very wise. There can't be a more official 
title than king of the Jews because Herod was given that by the Romans, by the empire. And if we follow the story through, it's full of political intrigue and horror. No wonder when Herod hears this, where is the king, uh, where's the child born king of the Jews? He's terrified. Uh, our text says frightened, but it could also be terrified. And so is all of Jerusalem. Because when Herod gets paranoid, everyone is in trouble. As we find out after our text with the slaughter of the innocents. And it ends with just a bloodthirsty bloodbath. And Jesus and his family as refugees. But what do we do with the story? How can we find something in this terrible story and strange and unusual story? Because these men, let's assume they're men, they appear here and then disappear. We never hear about any of them ever again. But if we look at it as a kind of a mystery story, then isn't it like life for us all the time? Isn't that how mysteries appear in our lives? We're not sure where they come from or when they go, but they can affect us greatly. I'm reading a series of letters at the moment uh, by Jean-Paul Chartres, uh, the, the French intellectual, who, and the, the ones I'm reading at the moment are leading up to him being called up to the war as a, a French soldier. He doesn't know this is going to happen, but I do know because I know what goes, what happens next. And, and I'm getting this sense of dread that he's writing about his life as, at, with Simone de, de Beauvoir, his um, partner and other people that he's with. And, 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 and th- things are wonderful. But this moment of dread is coming and it's, it's really hard to read because his letters are actually much, uh, uh, much more full of fun than I ever expected from uh, someone like him. But I know what's coming. And this is how mysteries appear. They appear either good or bad. I mean, look at us all wearing masks. This mystery has appeared out of nowhere, it seems. And we don't really know where. And we don't know how long it's going to last or where it's going to go. The wise men were that kind of mystery. They just come out of nowhere. But, but they're really, they don't belong in this story at all. They're from the wrong religion to start with. Now, if you're going to talk about Jesus as the king of the Jews or as the Messiah, and those things get mixed up in the little story and we could go into all kinds of the politics of that, well, why would you have somebody who's from the wrong religion who doesn't believe the right things? From the wrong region, from way out in the east somewhere. The wrong race. They're not even the right people. And we could just dismiss this as just this strange little story. Just like we could dismiss any kind of epiphany. As James Joyce says, a small moment. We could just dismiss it as, well, you know, it's just, it's just a coincidence. Just something that happened. Yeah, I was watching the sunset and I did feel a bit like weeping. But, you know, I've not been well and, and you know, and there's this and there's that and, I, and I've been well. We could just dismiss that. And we do so often. In fact, we do it so often that we can have epiphanies without even knowing it. And we could do what Herod does. We could fit everything in to the way the world is supposed to be. We know the rules and we know how things work. 
Herod underlined that by making sure he dragged all the chief priests and the scribes in, getting them to lay down the law so we understand what's going on, right? Well, we know where this fits in. It's as if he's taking an opinion poll to make sure he knows what's going on and that everything will fit into the worldview that he's got. We do this all the time. In, in, in fact, and I've said this a couple of times over the last few months, it's really instructive to watch our political leaders at the moment doing this. They're doing in public what I'm doing in private, which is hoping for the best. Hoping this isn't... Hoping when I got a, a sniffle or a cough, hoping... Well, of course, it's just a cold. I've had many colds. That's what I'm doing all the time... And it's okay for me to do it because nobody's listening to me. But if I was the Premier or the Prime Minister doing the same thing, you can see them on their faces as they're talking. They're trying to do the least possible and to our detriment some of the time because what they really, really want is for this to go away, for this not to be true. If you get a diagnosis from a doctor of something really, really serious, your first response is usually... I wonder, that can't be true. I know I'm a little bit sick, but mostly I'm fine. This can't be true. There must be an alternative explanation. Perhaps the doctor is wrong. Perhaps that doctor has read tests, results from a different person by accident. There's all kinds of things we do to justify it. And that's with big things. We do it all the time with small things too. There must be a way of fitting this extraordinary moment into the way we know things are supposed to be. Or we could do what actually pans out to happen. We could just receive it. The moment. In the midst of all the nonsense, we could just receive it as a moment of truth. And to imagine what gifts this moment has for us. And these are strange gifts. If you're a baby born to a poor family, what you need is milk, maybe formula, maybe bedding, you know, all the kinds of basic things. And these are really strange. They seem extravagant gifts. And of course they are, because one of the reasons Matthew has this story in here is because he wants to identify Jesus as an extraordinary individual. That's why there's a star. All the extraordinary individuals of ancient history had a a celestial event connected to them. From Alexander the Great to Herod himself uh, to uh, uh, Caesar Augustus who um, saw a comet in the sky and decided that was an indication that his father or his adopted father was a god. Which of course coincidentally made him the son of God. This happens all the time in the ancient world. So, of course, it's in there for that reason. That's one of the the stories that Matthew wants us to, to understand and to tell. But what are the gifts? What are the possibility of the gifts for us? I was thinking, uh, when I was thinking about this, about my uncle, I think it was my uncle, or somebody in my family, and I've forgotten exactly, uh, but for a Christmas present, uh, wanted to give my aunt um, a gift, and so he wrapped up this box and gave it to her, and she opened it up, and it was a new iron to iron the clothes. 
she was, um, how could you put this politely? A little perturbed and unhappy, I think. But, but she opened the box and inside was a, another box. There's no iron in it. It was a, a, a ticket to a day spa, which would given her to pamper her. Because, you know, the difference between a gift that you've really got to have an iron because their clothes have got to be ironed and the difference between that and something just for the extravagance. She didn't need to go to a day spa. That's not the point of a gift, is it? The point of a gift is to be extravagant. But it took her a minute to... Um, and it was, It's a, been a great family story, the kind of look on her face as the sort of... The, uh, and the fear that we had for my uncle because he'd given her this gift, which of course he hadn't. So what are the gifts actually for? Well, if it's a really, really good gift, it's probably not for anything at all other than the joy of having it. What if we were to accept the gifts just like that? What if we were to accept the gift of the moment of an epiphany for what it is? Like just a gift. We don't understand it. It's a mystery. We don't know where it comes from or where it's going or why it's arrived. And that doesn't really matter. What matters is playing with it, if you like, receiving it and seeing where it can head. For example, why could we not see the gift of gold? Which, of course, is the gift that you give to rulers. Gold is the most precious thing. Rulers, people in, in authority who are there by divine right, um, all through history until, you know, about two and a half hundred years ago, um, that, that they were there by divine right. They should, they're the most precious people. They should get the most precious stuff. What would it mean if you and I accepted the gold gift as that, that it's a gift to me? What if it turns out I'm actually extraordinarily precious? Well, of course I know different. But what if that's what, what I know is not true? What if I really am an extraordinary... What if I really am a child of God, which the, the entire New Testament is banging on to me about all the way through it? What if I really am the gift of God to myself and to everyone else? What if you are? What would it mean for then to turn out that it turns out I am the ruler of my own life in the sense I, I am the one who has to take responsibility? What if it means that I have to grow up and be an adult and not blame everyone else when things go wrong or circumstances, but accept this is my situation. This, in this moment, this is where I am. This is who I am. I will take responsibility and I will make decisions as if I were in charge, as if I have agency. As if I was a person of value and of worth and of intelligence and of ability. All of which, so much of the time, I would like to give over to someone else. Whether I'm going to blame the government for what they've not done or done about COVID. Whether I'm going to blame my parents for what they did and didn't do when I was a kid. Or other circumstances. But what if I will to take my own personal authority, take the gold of that. And what if I was to take the frankincense, which is, a, 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 if you like, a religious technology. It's a, it's a way of helping people get into the ritual of mystery. It's always used in ancient worship and in many parts of the church today. What if I was to take that and say, this is giving me permission to pay attention to my spiritual energy, to, to who I am as a human being deeply, 
not just something that uh, that can a body that can just do stuff but an, a deeper spiritual entity and we use kind of if you like a spiritual technology all the time we use meditation we use reading we use prayer we use walking uh, walking the labyrinth um, walking on the beach we use candles we use communion when we have it what if I was to accept that as a moment when I too can explore the great mystery of, of my spiritual being and the other one myrrh which is an embalming fluid it's always used at the end of life. It's a reminder of your mortality. All through the great um, era of du- the golden era of Dutch painting, for example, you can see in, in, in the works of, uh, of Rembrandt and even earlier, right back to Holbein and people like that in the 16th century, a little element in many of the paintings that remind you of your mortality. A, a, a vase of flowers, one of them's dead. A skull in the corner. Um, a, uh, a piece of fruit that's gone a little bit mouldy or another piece of, of bread with a fly on top of it. Um, they're all little indications. All of this is wonderful, but remember, this is a fleeting moment. doesn't go for long. Of course, the whole of the Hebrew Scriptures are full of that. The book of Ecclesiastes reminding us that, that, that uh, the day is fleeting. It's like the grass in the field. What if I was to accept that as a gift, that my mortality is a gift and my remembering of it, that this moment is precious because I don't know if there's another one. This day is precious because I don't know what happens tomorrow. And to live fully within that, in the uncertainty, but also the joy. Now you might think all that's a way too much of a stretch to take. But I think these stories invite us to do that, particularly this one, because it's so strange, because it comes from nowhere and goes nowhere, and it's just that moment. It could be just about kind of buffing up the person of Jesus. But it could also be inviting us into a moment of epiphany. And then maybe like the Magi, the wise men, we leave by a different road. Because a different set of experiences take us in a new direction. And the person we thought we, we knew ourselves to be is actually much bigger and broader and we're being invited into a much wider world. And so we take a new road. And when you take a new road, there aren't any maps. And it can be a great adventure, a frightening adventure sometimes, but a great adventure. And maybe that's what we're being invited to as well. All right. Thanks, Ashley.